Hey, you, Prime members, you can listen to Three Little Words ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. This podcast is brought to you by Quorn, the nation's favourite meat-free brand. Quorn is a great partner for this show because now, more than ever, we should all be thinking about the environmental impact of the food that we all eat. For every podcast, we have a fact about Quorn, delivered to us by Tony. Yeah, I'm going to deliver it, John. And again, you've uh, you've been remiss. It's a, it's a quack. I think we've established that. Yeah. About 160,000 tonnes of carbon emissions are avoided every year by people eating corn mince rather than beef mince. That's equivalent of taking 90,000 cars off the road every year. If you choose corn mince, you really are making a difference with climate change. Can't argue with that. So if you're going vegan, vegetarian or just cutting down on meat a bit, you'll find corn's a great option. They've got so many different products, from cocktail sausages to turkey-style kebabs. There's something for everyone. Yeah, definitely. And I know because they're all in my fridge. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash Wondery and use code Wondery for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash Wondery. Code Wondery. Welcome to Three Little Words. That's Tony Pitts. shouting. <laughs> now, now you're judging. <laughs> Welcome to Three Little Words. That's Tony Pitts. This is a show where we ask guests to come on and bring three words that mean something to us and that we can then use as a backbone for a conversation. Our guest today is an established broadcaster, a writer and a producer now with multiple national television shows because he's got shows uh, in development and in production in America, in the UK. He's completely reinvented himself from being an original children's entertainer. I think that's fair <laughs> to say. It's Richard Bacon. Richard, thank, thank you. you for coming. Hello, Tony. Hello, Richard. John. Yeah. I don't think I entertained many children. I don't know if I was a children's entertainer. Uh, I was like, like a, a dead children's end. presenter. But yeah, I have yeah. to say, that's a dead end. something's just come into me, Ed. Which I, <laughs> I don't All the years I've known you, yeah. and I don't know why I've, I've, it's never entered me yet before, when I was about to say Richard, for some reason, I thought, oh, wouldn't it be funny if I say Dicky, And then it would have been Dicky Bacon. <laughs> I think I think that's quite amusing. Right. That's, no, that's no. I had that. I just, I've got to say it. I've got to say it. I've got to say it. Because I had that thought yesterday. Did you? I swear to God. In fact, I'm trying to rattle through my brain so I had the conversation with. Because he said, who have you got on the show? And I did. Oh, this is not a good start to meeting somebody. But, but, but you thought Dicky Dick, Bacon. No, I thought Dick Bacon. But, I, but oh, I thought well, Dickie Bacon, like, if you'd have been a 70s northern comedian, that would have been your Dickie Bacon. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, it's Dickie Bacon, right? Who's Pat Carroll? But <laughs> doesn't work for a children's entertainer. Absolutely. Not so much. No. No. Uh, I, go on, Squeak. No, go on, go on. Go well, on. I, I'm 44, oh. so you might you might be right to assume. I've, I've heard it before. Yes. Yes. The Dickie Bacon. Dickie Bacon. Bacon. It's, not, it's not quite the revelation no, that it was no, to us. No, listen, I'm not claiming it's a revelation, but just as a person of of, of obvious yeah. jokes, I, you know, I see obvious jokes all the time, and I can't <laughs> believe I've known you for as long as I've known you. It's been a while. It's been now a while. 20 odd years. Yeah. You've, we first met at the Edinburgh Festival. Yeah. You started coming to some of the shows I was doing. 
So I've known you for all that time, and Dicky Bacon's never entered me head. It's just <laughs> entered me And now it's, yeah. And that's probably the pinnacle of our relationship. <laughs> but thanks for coming on the show. Pleasure. I like the, I, I like the concept. I like the... Um, it's partly because you, by asking someone to come up with three words that mean something to them, then the nature of a co- podcast like this is it got some substance to it and some depth and some sincerity. Yes. For you guys, John, you could have gone down the route of doing like a more of a pure comedy podcast. But this, I just think this is inherently more interesting than well, that. Well, thank you. Yeah. Can I ask you then, because I haven't asked any of the guests who have come on, how hard was it to come up with the words? Well, uh, it wasn't that hard because I'm... Um, you know, I've been reflecting on things in my life a bit lately, so especially since I was, you know, I was very ill a couple of years ago and I nearly died, and that's going to come up in a minute. Um, and so most of my life I've led a very shallow existence, I'm very happy to say. But then recently, I mean, you, you know... Uh, you, I was yeah. part of it. <laughs> <laughs> the fo- yeah, the focus. I've been up to my ankles in your shallowness. You have, you have. <laughs> Let's not forget my 40th. And, <laughs> and then... Um, I, you know, and I guess, I don't know whether I'm less shallow, but I definitely think more about some of the bigger things in life now. Um, and, you know, so, and you're right. Partly, uh, so it's uh, not just because I was ill. You also no, no, you I get older, the, the, you? Yes, I think exactly that. I think you get a few more years in your bag. Yeah. So we've spoke about how important words are. So tell us, Richard, what, what is your first word? Death. 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 So the etymology of the word, uh, the old English word is, well, a struggle. I think diep would be the nearest pronunciation I could get to that. There's um, Danish is dod. If you go uh, across the Western world, there are variations that German is tod, Hmm. which became to mean something else in the north of England. And all our languages are from a proto-Indo-European language. uh, And the the earliest root, because obviously the word death is going to be an old word by its nature. The oldest root of it is dear, D-H-E-U, to die. So I've just got a few quotes that may or may not be interested. One is Moore's Ultima Ratio, which is death has the last word. The next one would be life and death are one thread, the same line viewed from different sides. Art is a tree of life and death is a tree of science. That's William Blake. Uh, and this one I love, and I think this one um, offers insight. Death is the mother of beauty. Hmm. Only the perishable can be beautiful, which is why we are unmoved by artificial flowers. That's interesting. Mm, that's I, think that's, I think that's... Uh, that we are unmoved by artificial flowers, though. It's Wall- true, isn't it? Wallace Stevens. Uh, yeah, the idea that the finality of life gives import and meaning to all our interpretations. So why did you pick it? Well, I've, for as long as I can remember, I've been an atheist. And I suppose there must have been a point when I believed in God, because as a kid, you do at some point, don't you? Mm-hmm. It, you know, it, you just do. But I never remember believing in God. And I got t- taken to church a bit, but I was always very sceptical about it. And so I've always been, if you're, it's actually very profound being an atheist. It's more profound than being religious, because what you're oh, yes. acknowledging braver. is is braver. Mm-hmm. Is okay, there's no get out. Mm-hmm. There's no justice in heaven. There is, there isn't anything, and and it really is. Uh, it's quite a hard concept to actually. If you really think about atheism, it's quite a difficult concept to accept. Which is that when you're switched off, when you die, get killed, whatever it is, that that's what well, that's it. That's it. That's it. We have to grow up and face that. Yeah. You have to face that. So I've always. But what happened to me when I uh, nearly died two years ago, when I was in a coma. Um, 
and I was within, you know, seconds of dying. My blood oxygen, I had a, a double lung infection and my blood oxygen level went to 57. And if you saw that story where Donald Trump got COVID and they moved him to Walter Reed Hospital on a helicopter, when his blood oxygen went to 94, I was like, mine went to 57. Wow. And when you go below 60, you're meant to die. Yes. And so I was lying on this trolley in the hospital and I turned blue. And there was a story afterwards that the, the um, consultant who saved my life told me, and I think about it every day, and, and this is about death, um, which is he said, you were on this trolley and you, cr you were crashing and all your vital signs were crashing and you'd gone below 60 blood oxygen and you were turning blue. And I was surrounded by mainly doctors. And he said, I was about to say to another doctor, get the crash equipment. And I looked at her. And I didn't have to say anything. She just looked at me and knew what I was going to say because you were in such a bad state. And she put a hand on the trolley with the crash equipment and slid it next to me and they fired it up, waiting for me to go into cardiac arrest. And he said, it wasn't a question of if you were going to die. He said to me, this is weeks later when I went back to the hospital to visit him, to kind of say thank you for saving my life. But he said it wasn't a question of if you were going to die, you were, you were supposed to die. That was the moment you were supposed to die. And then one of the many different drugs we put inside your body, because they weren't sure what the illness was, something just worked when I was seconds away from death. You can't go to... You just can't go to 57 blood oxygen. You can't do did, it, right? Did so, you... Sorry. sorry yeah, no, go on, no, I was going to say, when you're in there, you're obviously in a coma, you yeah. come out the coma. When does someone say to you, this is how close you were to dying? Well, he he only said this several weeks later when I went to see him. He didn't say it. Well, they said some of the doctors said words to that effect when I was still in Lewisham Hospital um, that it was really serious and it'd been touch and go, and it was touch and go more than once. But that scene I described was the worst one, and that was the same day I'd gone into hospital. Um, wow! So that's how fast it acted on my lungs. This infection, and we never worked out what it was. It's an infection in both lungs. Yes. So you're, similar to double, it wasn't this, but it's pneumonia. similar to double pneumonia. And you can't, the reason double pneumonia is so dangerous is because you haven't got a spare lung. Yes, Pneumonia is one lung. Two engines on the plane, right? Yeah. But just, one, but just so my clarity of the story is immensely gripping. So you find yourself in ill health, not feeling so good, yeah. confined to your bed. Yeah, I was. I mean, I can I'll shorten the story, but I was. Li I live in America. I live in Los Angeles, right? And I was flying home for the summer, and it was quite a dramatic period in my life because it, this brings us full circle to what I'm doing now, which I'm producing and creating entertainment formats, and I've had some success with that. And of course, I'm very happy to talk about that later. But I was. I decided two and a half years ago, a bit less than that, two summers ago to quit a job and I was I was hosting a show on Fox in America not Fox News Tony just to be clear but on Fox and it was a daytime show and I found it really easy and it was actually about the news but it was on the entertainment network and it was sort of summarizing the news in America for the last 24 hours and I did that Monday to Friday and I found it so easy it was just sort of script reading and I wanted to get into creating game shows and I thought if I quit this job, it's a big risk. If I quit the yes. job and create the space to daydream, I think I can come up with some entertainment formats. So I had a coffee with this executive from Fox in Los Angeles. And I said to him, I want to quit the job. And we discussed how when my exit would be. And I was going to go home and then come back later in the summer and do a few more shows and then exit. And we had the coffee. I'm going to quit the show. Okay. 36 hours later, I was in a coma in Lewisham Hospital. Oh, my God. And so... 
and so there was a lot, you know, sort of locks weirdly colliding at the same time there. And I got ill in America. I don't know what from. Got ill on the plane, hallucinated on the plane, and went to hospital. And uh, I didn't think it was serious. But as soon as you go into A and E and say you can't breathe properly, and of course we're hearing a lot about that now. Yes. They take it very seriously. Yes. I was like, I just thought they'd give me some antibiotics and it'd be gone and I'd carry on. And so, um, and so it overwhelmed my body very quickly. Yeah. I do remember very clearly wandering briefly back to religion is. It was it was in the news that I was in a coma, and a few weeks out of the coma, I was in a as in an itsu, I think, in Chelsea. Mm. And mm. a guy came up to me, and he was the minister for the Brompton and Chelsea Church, and he said, "He said, oh yeah, I, w- I want you to know that we I led prayers for you in church whilst you're in the coma." And then he started talking about people who go through that kind of trauma. He said they get whipped by the tail three months later. He said, it happens. Three mo- you'll think everything's fine. Yes. And then three months later, this tail is going to whip back and smack you in the face. Yes. And I have to say, it didn't happen. But I wonder if it's a bit more like a sort of... But it, for a while, I thought I had no scarring. And now I think I have some scarring. It just didn't happen the way people predicted it would happen. Well, Does that what, make sense? What do, you, what do you mean by scarring? Scarring in the sense that I think about it a lot because when you've been an atheist all your life, you don't think there's anything when you die. But it it, it went from being theoretical, hypothetical, yes. academic yes. to real, Tangible, actual. real, immediate. Oh, right, yeah, so you really can die, can't you? When you're close to death and you, you're, you're the person you are, so you've had a public profile for a long time, some people know you, some people don't, don't know you in the way that they think they know you, but you're also a husband and a son and a father, and the meaning of what you are to the world is one thing, but the meaning to what you are with that small group of loved ones is completely different. If you'd have died on that moment, you'd have been a story in a paper, but you'd have been mm. a lasting scar for those that are close to you. Well, my kids are only six and eight, and so this was two years ago, so they were four and six. And so, mm. you know, they'd have been in therapy, wouldn't they, for the rest of their lives, probably, talking about when their dad died when they were a kid. It would have changed who they'd become. But does it change you now to them? Your relationship? Have you changed anything in your life or your view of your relationship with uh, your kids or anyone else? Uh, I'm very, very close to my family and probably closer than I was. Um, and I, I, th- I think that I've settled down into a sense of just really, you know, being a very happy father. And I suppose maybe in the early years of my kid's life, I was... Uh, I wasn't. I was a bit less connected to them, and and a bit, you know, going out a lot more. And um, I think there are ways in which it's made me just value them more, value my part in their lives more, and made me closer to them. Yeah. And also, my kids have overheard me say to people, you know, that I nearly died. And sometimes Arthur will go, "What, Dad? Did you nearly die?" Sure. And obviously, he's saying it in a wide-eyed kid way. But you, again, Rebecca, my wife, will say, "I wish he hadn't heard you say that because." You don't really understand. Child psychology is so complicated. And, oh. and, and, and it's, okay, he's, so he knows about it. What does that really mean that he knows about it? Yes. I don't know. Yeah. No idea. What do you think it means to Rebecca? Well, I think for Rebecca, you know, that she's, 
uh, I've she's dealt with it really well as well. My my, my therapist, oh, we've done therapy together, and I've been to therapy to talk about this. Made a really interesting point, which is. I don't mind talking about going in the coma and I'm doing it right now on a podcast. And a few days after I was dismissed from hospital, Radio Radio 4 got in touch and I said, yeah, come around. And then 5 Live got in touch, my old show that I used to host. I was like, yeah. And Rebecca was getting annoyed with me saying, you can barely walk. You know, I was thin as a rake. I had a tracheotomy. You can also see that sometimes you can see a little hole in my neck still. And there was an indentation. And I had a massive scar plaster. I was half breathing through my neck for a while. And I'm like, yeah, come around Five Live, come around. And Rebecca said, what is wrong with you? And I, and I don't have the desperate desire to be centre of attention that you might imagine being a, the presenter that I am. But I do, it had been in the paper and I, wa- I wanted to tell my story. And what, what my therapist said was, the reason that you didn't get that three-month whip that we talked about, that the minister from the Brompton Church talked about, was because you've turned it into an anecdote. Yes. You said by turning it into an anecdote, you're putting it over there. Yeah, yes, but that, but I don't know that it is putting it over there. What I was thinking when you were talking then was it's revealed your essential nature. Your essential mm. nature is a communicator. Yeah, it is. So, yeah. so it's very easy for other people to be prescriptive and say, well, you shouldn't talk, you shouldn't, you should sit with this and feel it and, and you to, to be prescriptive about how you should deal with things. I think that stripped you back to your essential nature and I think that your life has, that's why your life has followed the path that it has done. So if that's you... That's quite a good, a good yes, point, that, Tony. I think, I think, I think, that I think for that to happen to you... And you, and you then to say, actually, I don't want to... It's not something I want to... Would have, would have fundamentally altered your... And I suspect not in a good way. I think, I don't th- I think the things that we swallow poison us. And I think that you know that instinctively. There you this go. I wish I'd actually said that to Rebecca at the time, which is, hmm. you know, this is my essential... It does sound grand when I say it myself, but, you know, this is my essential nature. Yes. This is what I need to do. I need to turn it into a story. It was also your way of saying thanks, because yeah, throughout those true. interviews, you kept saying, had this happened to me in America, I would be dead now. That's true. This only... Yeah. This only this interview, I remember you saying at one point, this interview is only happening because we have the NHS, yep. because we're here, because it's free at the point of access. I would not have survived in America because by the time they'd have done the paperwork, I'd have been dead. No, that's true. And I thought, I so I took your interviews not as a sensationalist, great stuff, I've got attention, as your opportunity to say, I've got to say thanks to these people on my first possible opportunity. And, and that is absolutely true. And there are probably 40 people involved in saving my life. The lead consultant is a guy called Vic, who's been really, I stay in touch with the hospital. I hosted an award show for them in March, just as sort of the cloud of COVID was beginning. Um, and he's been very heavily involved at Lewisham with saving people's lives. He's a hero. I mean, he's really... Use that for, it's like a cliche to go, this person in hospitals who works uh, for the NHS is a hero. But people in the NHS think he's a hero. You talk to anyone about yeah. Vic and they go, fuck it, oh, Vic. In he's all absolutely healthcare. extraordinary. And what, sorry, I was going to say, you realise that science is also an art in that when I'm dying in front of him and he doesn't know what's going on in my lungs and there's no, we didn't know what it was, he has to make literally a creative decision. It's not the same as like you, a pilot gets in a plane and has a checklist and he press that button, that button, that button, his engine two working fine. You know, it's not that. He's looking at you going, more, it's sort of guesswork and it's a creative decision it's, within science. It's exactly what it is. And, and art is uh, an interpretive thing. That's his science. Yeah, exactly. and, 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 and so, yes, he made decisions, informed decisions. and uh, Yeah, informed decisions, informed, but yes. within the parameters within, of, his, yes. of his science, yes. he had to make it up. Yeah. 
You're right. It's that yeah. there's, there's there's somebody who's now you know working in that hospital who at 18 decided to study science and go and do medicine. Mm. Who's now affected the lives of so many because of it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Can, can I ask you a question? It's just for my own uh, satisfy my own curiosity, really. Um, as a child, did you have uh, a really well developed emotional intelligence? I.e., did you understand that people weren't necessarily meaning what they were saying? Because I think you've got uh, you've got a really strong, I get a really strong sense of uh, empathy and understanding from me, and I wonder where it's coming from. I wondered if it was planted early. And yeah. I wonder, or wonder if recent events of uh, you're a communicator that doesn't necessarily mean empathetic, doesn't necessarily mean understanding and insightful of other people, but I can see it in you. It, uh, do you know? I think about empathy sometimes in terms of I definitely of always from a very young age. You know, I'd worry about homelessness and I couldn't understand why we couldn't find homes for people. And you know, I've always been left wing, centre left, certainly. But I also think that sometimes you get that, there's a slight thing with left-wing people where you have massive empathy for loads of people you've never met, but you can be really thoughtless to your wife and your mum. Yeah. Do you know what I mean by oh, that? No, no, of course so I, yeah, I, yeah. I sort of, uh, yeah, so un, I've really underdeveloped emotional intelligence and quite developed emotional intelligence. So long as we're talking abstractly about refugees, there's loads what, of empathy. That's, what I, that's, you know. that's my question, I think. Yeah, 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 I, yeah. I wondered what was inside you. As, yeah, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. I worry loads about refugees. What about the hurt you caused your mum? Oh, yeah, right. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. And even clean, noticed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Clean, yeah. Clean, clean up your pots when you've had your dinner. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So maybe, maybe I should have known that that was going to be the first word because it's such a powerful word. You've had that powerful experience. But what's your second word? Second word is daydreams, which really is about... Um, it actually dovetails what we're talking about. So you want to do yeah, the etymology, no, quickly, just Go quickly, on, do it. Quickly, it's a reverie, pleasant and visionary fancy indulged in when awake. Definition, to spend time thinking pleasant thoughts about something you would prefer to be doing or something you would like to achieve in the future. Psychology, the phenomena of daydreaming is common in people's daily life. There was a large-scale study in 2010 uh, which participants spend... 47% all participants in the in the and it was a big um, a big trial 47% of their waking time is spent in daydreaming hmm. uh, and I've just w- one quote about daydreams uh, and I see the truth of this immediately how many of our daydreams would darken into nightmares when the, if there was a danger of them coming true <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I just don't know. It depends no. on the nature of the daydream. So what? So what? And the day person. Dream, what the well, that's about what I, what I've been what I'm doing now. And you know, when I talked about quitting that job with Fox to create the space to daydream, and that's led me on the chapter since the near death experience. So I've gone from death to this, and really, that's what my job is now, is to daydream. And I I used to be on the radio every day for a long time. Um, in fact, if you go back through my sort of 20 or more year career, I've done a lot of jobs where I'm broadcasting or hosting every day from Radio Nottingham to Blue Peter to The Big Breakfast mm. to XFM to Capital Radio to Five Live. Well. I was like, they're almost, most, almost all of them are like everyday jobs. Every day, every day, every day. I've just done a shitload of broadcasting. And I have ADHD, and I sort of, which I only got diagnosed a couple, just before the coma. Ah. And I sort of have realised how... 
it, why I did that job. It actually Patterns. suited me to have the pattern. Patterns. And the reason that I've not done a podcast myself is because the problem with the podcast is you have to sort of organise it yourself. When you're, on, when you're on the radio, it's all set up for you and there's a producer, all the equipment, it's all set up. I don't have to book anyone. No. It's the pattern of I go in and it's all there for me and then I can just go on and talk. And that's it's quite a big change to stop doing that in your life. Mm. You've been through that 20-year career yeah. where you've had the structure. Yeah. And then you, at a time in your life where you're living abroad, uh, you've moved your family over there, you've got an opportunity that a lot of British broadcasters would like, you're working for a major American network, you've got the pressure of a young family and, and all of that. You then decide, and this is before a near-death experience, so that's got nothing to do with it, yeah. you then decide... You want to sit on your arse and daydream. Now, that, <laughs> that, that, it sounds crazy, doesn't it? It is crazy, though. Now, but what has happened in that process? Yeah, you've come up with, the, you, you've got a result at the end. You've got a job at the end and you've got formats that people are taking up and formats people are trying. But the journey between it and I know we had the near death bit but just that bit where you were waking up certain days and having nothing to do yeah. except daydream how hard was that <clears throat> sometimes it was really hard and sometimes it was like embarrassing yes and uh, and to be honest that I can just rewind a bit further which is I moved to America five years ago and I was on Five Live, and as we discussed, yeah. you were on my last show. Yeah. In Manchester, and yeah. it was a big part. My 30s, up to 39, were Five Live, basically. Um, and a bit of XFM at the beginning, but mainly it was Five Live. And I loved it, and it was important to me. Um, and I decided, to, and I have a, th when I look back at my own decisions, such as deciding to sit in my house and daydream, similarly, deciding to go to America in the first, I look back at them now and just think they were really not thought out no. properly the instincts I, I can't believe i did it instincts yeah it's instincts but i yes. can't believe i did it i don't know why like how can someone with a young family stop being on the radio where you've got regular income and and you've got your audience every day and you've got your structure yes. and you're live on the radio that's fun and it? it's i like being you know i like talking Context will give you well. Well, context. Well, time gives you context, and then context gives you the explanation. And I could tell a lot of my friends thought oh, it was sort of mad and stupid, and and uh, and what actually happened was, I'd created a show like an interview show that had been bought in America, and I'd been flying to America before I quit the radio, and it'd been picked up, and I had this issue with my visa, and the show I'd created collapsed, and I moved to America without a job. And so I had, in that first year, I had a lot of waking up with nothing to do. And then when I quit the Fox job, there was a lot of waking up with nothing to do. And it's, it's embarrass it feels embarrassing. It feels, I became jealous of my kids who were going to school. And I thought, oh, I love that. I wish I had their structure. Yeah, yeah. I wish I had that purpose and that structure. If something has to change, it will do. And, uh, and if, if you use external forces, if you were to use purely, if we were just purely to go on, logic you would say i'm well paid i'm doing something that's mm. uh, important to me and i love doing it and it makes no sense it makes no sense to do but um if uh the, there are things running inside us all of us there are things that something's run inside going us, on something's going on and i then, have a need then, to change things up i yes. mean i don't know what that's about i don't know if it's related to adhd i'm not qualified to understand it but I oh, fucking hell, I have a need to change things in my life. When I was 30, I changed every single thing in my life. Well, when you said you've only been diagnosed with ADHD recently, what, what was the chain of events that led to that? 
Um, if my therapist would said, um, you've got ADHD, go and get it diagnosed. How that did he it. diagnose ADHD? Just sit you in a room and see if you can stay still. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think they were like, <laughs> yeah, a friend of mine said to me, you can go and spend, you know, five grand. Yeah. I went to Orange County to this place called the Amon Clinic, which is a special specializes in ADHD. A friend of mine, might have been Jimmy Carr, I think he said something like, yeah, yeah, you can do that. You know, or you could just use my eyes. Yes, you've got ADHD. <laughs> yeah, but are you? Are you? I've got friends who have diagnosed with various. Things. I, I, I've uh, I've spent my whole of my adult life uh, longing for a diagnosis, longing for some sort of diagnosis to explain myself to myself rather better. Yeah. So then you can go ah. But well, the question to you is this: My friend of mine, a very very dear friend of mine, uh, was diagnosed with uh, something quite recently, and his immediate response was, "Right." What's is all my success attributable to that then? What's hmm. what's a diagnosis? What's me? Have I been broadcasting successfully for twenty odd years as a consequence of the diagnosis? Probably, probably a consequence of having ADHD. Yeah, probably. The, the great thing about ADHD that I learned is it's also a superpower. Now I have to stress it affects people differently, and. I gave a couple of interviews and there was a mum reached out to me recently, reached out, I've been living in America a while, and she said, my son's got it, can you do a Zoom with him? And I did it. And he realised it affected him so differently to the way it affects me. Yes. So there's no blanket thing. No. So I hesitate to say it's a superpower. No. But actually, the thing that I didn't understand, one, it has a physical manifestation. You can do a brain scan and you have lower blood flow to the prefrontal cortex so you can actually see ADHD. Yes. But the other thing that they taught me is, okay, on the one hand, you know, you, you don't sit still and you don't pay attention. You actually have hyper-focus. Now, we all focus on things that we love, but it's a bit beyond that when you have ADHD. And so that's why, coming back to the word daydreams, is it really sort of emboldened me to take that step because when I'm writing something or thinking about an idea for a show that I love... I go into absolute hyper-focus and I can see the whole idea in my head. And I'm, I'm never... I, do you know what? And I said this is to my sister-in-law this weekend. I was saying, I've now got a lot of projects going on. I've got three network shows in America with, with big, big networks and two here. And they're all primetime shows. And I executive produce all of them and I created all of them. I then have an overall, what's called an overall deal with NBC Universal. They've taken on two more formats of mine. So there are little teams on those formats that I'm working on too. And then I've obviously, I'm writing new ones as well. Um, so I've got five different formats in different stages of being made. And then I'm writing new ones. And I've and I realised I'm happiest, not when I'm on air, not when I'm presenting the radio, not when I'm pitching an idea, not when I'm producing an idea, not when I'm casting an idea, not when... I, when I'm, it's just me and my iPad, and I'm writing the idea, and no one's touched it. No, it's a spark it, of invention. It's so happy. It's, it's, it's so it's, happy. Well, you, I, I, you, you remind me uh, of me, but uh, without the success. You, the, the, it's a spark of invention. That's the that's it's that moment of that. It's yeah, the get the that's the thing. It's most fun. What are you like with details? Are you bad no, with detail? I'm really, I'm, details in ideas. I, I'm I write so much detail that yes. they're always telling me. You know, don't need you don't much. need to write this much, mate. But I, I I was right on the train. I got a train from Bath today to London. I was just like 
Da, 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 da. And I was just, honestly, you, if I told you the specifics, you'd think it was ludicrous. I've tried to write game shows out like they're practically a film script. I put words in all the contestants' mouths. I'm writing and writing and writing it. And I just feel so content, I can't tell you. I'm, I'm peaceful. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code AUDIO to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code AUDIO at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code AUDIO. Also, you know, one's fucked it up at that point. Yeah, but you know what I mean by that. You know, yeah. so TV it, becomes a compromise, is it a but it's car- not when it's on your computer. Sorry, sorry, sorry John. Yeah, no, no, you're right. Telly is a compromise. It, it, it's uh, I can't, you know, people outside of it and see the end result and think, oh, that 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 was good. And you think you walk through it. Though. We've all been through it. All of us yes. have been through that bit. Go, got yeah. an idea. They go, we love it. Yeah. Can you just make it this? What, what if it? Yeah. Go, no, you what loved if it, it when it was that. Yeah. What you if they were all vampires? Yeah. So, yeah. so the, the line that. about film is it's a so, slow death of a good idea. Yeah. Filmmaking. Yes. Well, is I, a slow I, death I made of a, a film idea. that took me. I wrote and produced and uh, I wrote a, a, a film. It took me 10 years in the making to, to get it made. I wrote it 10 years ago. I write pen and paper. And the reason it took me 10 years was because of that. Because I just can't... It, it's pointless. It's, it, it's I mean, more than it, twice as long as the Second World War. Yeah. Isn't it? To get your film made. Yeah, yeah. But <laughs> it's a match if, if you want it to be your yeah. film, yeah. But that's, what I was going to say is you're talking about the, that that creative process where you sit there and that's when you're at your happiest, when you were on the, the train this morning when you were doing it and that's come from giving you the opportunity to daydream mm. now on a wider question do you think that that's something that's not you know, we, society can't be based on Richard Bacon's life but do you think it's something that we should all learn from that that opportunity to perhaps not if you can not have the grind or create the space or do the thing because we spoke off air about kids and you know kids going to school and where your kids will go yeah. to school America yeah. or that. Yeah. and that opportunity to just play and be free seems that we've lost it it's been stolen from us you think it's a thing that we should try and teach kids to say today's afternoon class yeah. is just age yeah that well yeah I think I would do I would encourage my kids I want them to work in the ideas sector, for whatever that means. That can be an architect, it can be a computer programmer, it can be a scientist. But that thing of... Is it is satisfying to try and create? Even though what I'm creating is just, you know, they're just fun they're so, sh- so, game shows. But but the, but the it's still satisfying, isn't it? Oh, it's not saying it's meaningful, it's, so but it's satisfying. It's it, it, that interests me that you say you you would like your children to work in the ideas sector, in the creative environment. Yeah, and yet you owe your life to a scientist who was being created exactly. as a scientist. He was, so yeah. so. 
things that we regard, <laughs> we've all seen creative accountancy, things that we, yeah. we regard the law, the things that we think are fixed, mm. require creative people to see them in a different way. Yeah, that's true. You know, if you work in the courts, that obviously is a creative process, isn't it? Everything is. I think we just, we just need l labels to keep things here earthbound. We need to we need to delineate between one thing and another when essentially it's all it's all the 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 the, the creative magic of being alive alive in the knowledge of your own death that that space. bridges if you bridges. built a bridge you wouldn't want someone who built a bridge to somehow be creative halfway through. Well, no, you have to be <laughs> creative. You know what I'm going to do? Yeah, I'm going to I'm going to do this bridge, but I want it to go up and down a little bit. Yeah, you want a bridge? No, it'd be, it'd, a bridge. be creative in the if I said, but that's in the building of the bridge. That's in the execution. But in the imagining of the bridge, it has to be creative. Yeah, so, like Hammersmith yes, Bridge. That's right. So, that's right. So all bridges yeah, are yeah. good-looking bridge. All, all bricks, all bridges are acts of imagination that then become that's a good thing because i was trying to think of a creative bridge and the only thing i could think of is a colorful one if i built bridges <laughs> i would build the steel bridges but i'd make them yeah. bright pink and go look it's a little to bit of fun imagine if you we were all to build a bridge they would all those bridges would come from an archetype in our mind an archetype of what a bridge would be and, and our imaginings would then build the actual putting the nail see that's uh, I think this is the, the putting the nail in and screwing that and getting the angles and all, that's a different thing mm. but the imagining of that's where the buzz is surely yeah. moving on moving on <laughs> my next word is bridge <laughs> <laughs> two words beginning with D so are we no, I've, got, I've, done, I've gone for alliteration the next word is dad have you got some etymology for us Tony they fuck you up, your mum and dad. <laughs> they may not mean to, but they do. They fill you with the faults they had and add some extra just for you. But they were fucked up in their turn by fools in old-style hats and coats who half the time were soppy stern and half at one another's throats. Man hands on misery to man. It deepens like a coastal shelf. Get out as early as you can and don't have kids yourself. Philip Larkin. Uh, Dad, uh, interesting etymology. This is contentious. Want to get your head around? Professor John McWhorter of Columbia University maintains that the word dad is from dada, which is actually a natural sound from the children's mouth as a second stab at consonants after the mama. So that, that, came, uh, that came from that way. So it's tata, papa, papa. And then five, just some, because obviously death, I think your parents are the huge in our psychological landscapes. I've got some quick quotes, as some of them are more insightful than others. A father is a banker provider by nature. And this is my favourite. By the time a man realises that maybe his father was right, he usually has a son who thinks he's wrong. <laughs> That's a good quote. They're great. So. Well, dad means two things to me. I've got a dad and I am a dad. So it has two different, and that's true of uh, all of us in this room, I assume, isn't it? I mean, Tony. I think uh, yeah, the whole of humanity. The whole yeah. of humanity. Well, well not of uh, not everyone half becomes a dad, I guess. But yeah. but you, um, my own dad is he's a really good man, and he um, he's a very he's very optimistic, and I've been learning quite a lot about optimism recently, and mm. thinking about optimism, and thinking about. I used to think it was an exclusively good thing, and now I think it's quite dangerous. <laughs> uh, it's potential for both. I mean, it, it's. Would you rather be pessimistic or optimistic? Well, you choose optimism. I have a piece of art by Harlan Miller that says "Overcoming Optimism" yes. in my house, and yeah. um, and I think with my dad's optimism has always played out in like 
Yeah, of course we can make it to the airport if we set off with only an hour to get there and it's an hour and a half away. We'll be fine. The optim- that's where optimism becomes dangerous, right? <laughs> the, oh, yeah. it'll be fine. And I've come to realise sometimes it won't be fine. The optimism, and- optimism to me is like bravery. If you've got too much of it, it'll just go wrong. Yeah. yeah. Optimism wrong. is yeah. what... Uh, opt- uh, let me get this right. Pessimism is what an optimist calls a realist. Which is a great line. It's a great line, isn't it? It's just a great line, and it's true. It's what I call a pessimist. So you said you picked the word for two reasons. One, because you've got a dad who you love and and who who no doubt shaped who you are. And the other one is because you are a dad. Tell me what what you mean by you are a dad. You picked it for that reason. I think that... um, when I uh, was falling in love with Rebecca, my wife, John, who you, of course, know. Yeah. When I was falling in love with, you know, maybe this again is this. Just going to quickly mention ADHD again, which I, it's, it's, it is relevant. A friend of mine, Johnny Yo, who's an artist, has ADHD. And we talk a lot about it, a bit about it. And he, had this, he said to me something on the phone the other day I hadn't thought about. You know that? You know the hyper-focus thing I mentioned? Yes, uh, yeah, hyper-reading. He said, you know, it can be a superpower, so you can, you can paint paintings, and I can come up with, you know, game shows or whatever. But because. he said, you, the only down, he said the downside is, you, you, it is a superpower, but you can't always choose what you obsess over. It's not a cho- I never thought of it that way. And the, the truth is that you can, some, you can you get really obsessive. So when I fell in love with Rebecca, it was that. Sometimes, Sometimes you get hung up on little yes. things that don't really matter and you can't stop thinking about them forever. That's right. But at other times, of course, it's very useful. But with Rebecca, I fell hard in love and she had always wanted to be a mum, all of like almost all of her life. And I kind of told her, oh yeah, I really want to have kids. And I was sort of saying it because I fancied her and wanted to, to go out with me and I wanted to yeah. do the things that you do to have kids. Do the things you want to do to have kids. Oh, that's yes. definitely part of it. Yes. And I wanted to be with her and I wanted. I also wanted a long-term relationship with her. So I know that I was sort of saying, and we'd be in a restaurant, and I'd be like, oh, isn't that baby cute? And I didn't really mean it, but I knew she'd like to. She, I thought, oh, she'll like it if I say that. Oh, look at that cute baby. Yeah. And it was, I didn't, I wasn't sure I really, I didn't really have a view either way about having kids. And I have kids because of her and because of how much she wanted to have them. She really is incredibly talented at being a parent. Whereas, you know, and I'm deficient at being a parent. And I think for the first few years, um, I was quite absent in some ways. Yes. And, and of course, I still like, love them, but I was, I was kind of absent. And now um, I, I feel really close to them. And there are still ways in which I'm deficient as a parent. Whereas I don't think there's any way in which she's deficient as a parent. But I'm telling you, I really love being a dad so profoundly now. Totally little so little cool. little kids need the mum and want the dad, and I think that my uh, when my son was born, I ran out of the hospital. I literally, they said, "Your uh, father, uh, you've got a boy." I got in the lift, went down three floors, ran out the car park, and ran for like ten minutes. Right, I'm completely that. overwhelmed by the yeah. reality of it because, like you said, it's, it's an idea. That's one thing. The reality is a different thing, and then also the idea that you would know how to do it, and it would all. 
Audible is the destination for thrilling audio entertainment with highly anticipated new releases. The time is now more than ever to embrace the breathtaking, sinister, and shocking tales that can enthrall you, especially with brand new exclusive thrillers from best-selling authors who are guaranteed to keep you gripped, like Amy Tintera's Listen for the Lie. With exclusive thrillers from best-selling authors, captivating sound design, and dynamic performances, Audible brings these stories to life like never before. And as a member, you can choose one title a month to keep from their entire catalog. New members can try Audible free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. Well, I don't think I did know how to do it. No, that's what I'm saying. I don't think anyone does. That's what that's in my point, yeah. But the way you're expressing it it's like you know the children are a result of your relationship with Rebecca without them you would still want Rebecca yeah that that was so you fell in love with her and they became part of you now I don't know whether the the earlier where death and that experience has changed it or whether yeah, it's just yeah. age and they've reached the point of now needing the father around and you are around, life choices, whatever. But it seems to me what you're saying now is you've found what being a dad is or you're finding what being a dad is rather than the children being a side effect of you being in love with this person. Exactly. They were a side effect. They were a byproduct of yeah. the person I fell in love with. Because she really wanted to be a mum, and now they're not a byproduct. They're there every day as well, aren't they? They're there. there, That's the thing. Do you get that thing? Oh, they're they're here. And you can actually tie the three words together today quite easily because, okay, just part COVID anyway, because of course COVID is meant we've all spent more time with our families. But even if you just set that aside, the the, the choice of making my career daydreaming Mm. means you're at home a lot, right? And so as a consequence of daydreaming, and as a consequence of death and having a near-death experience, I'm a better dad. And that's why I chose those three words. Yeah. So, Richard, there have been three great words. I just need one word from you now that you will be glad you never heard again. Zoom. Zoom. <laughs> just one kiss and I was on. The, not the song Zoom. Not the song Zoom, the I mean, zoom. but that, that too. Yeah, just, just because that's what the world's become, Manny. Yeah, and it, you know, and it, it, I'm slightly bored of. Does who, who? Someone on Twitter wrote the other day. Most meetings should be Zooms. Most Zooms should be phone calls. Most phone calls should be text messages. Yeah. And there are now Zooms happen when you don't need them to happen. And there's always like eight minutes at the beginning of someone going, "Oh, I like your house," and you know, yeah, you got yeah, a new yeah. table, and I just you don't do that on a phone call, do you? You get on with it. Yeah. Right. Well, let's get on with it, Richard. You've been a great guest. Uh, been, I've said yeah. it all before. It's great. I love meeting you. Yeah, thank I you too, Tony. You. Thank I you. Love Th- that's you, really sweet of you. Thank no, you. Seriously. I love meeting you too. And I enjoyed. It's that AA Gill thing, isn't it? it? It's you know, it's more interesting to be sincere, isn't it? Yes. Wow. I, I mean, I, I, I don't know him. I don't know Richard. I know he's a friend of yours. I've, I've, I don't watch much TV actually I don't think I've seen any show that he presents I don't think I've ever heard him on the radio to be honest with you I'm aware of him uh, I don't know what I expected but I didn't expect that he's uh, he's a firework I loved him I I, um, I wanted to be my friend uh, I don't think he liked you no no 
<laughs> but that's it. That's it. That's the usual pattern. I, I, I've not been. I've never been burdened by hope. I, I knew you'd get on. I knew you'd get on. Loved so, it. So just, lo- just loved it. I loved it. He had the intensity, but but in a, in a good way, and he was open faced, and uh, I can see, you can see him fizzing. I love. I mean, he's alive, isn't he? Yeah. He's alive. Thankfully. Yeah. Thankfully. Great guest. Great guest. I hope you enjoyed that episode as much as John and I obviously did. Don't forget to subscribe, follow, share and like. And uh, just remains to say a massive thank you to our meat-free sponsor, Quorn. Super protein, super tasty. I have missed these Friday night dinners. Mm. Hey, welcome to Harvey Gras! At these family dinners... Delicious, everyone! Dysfunction is served. I can't have you all messing things up for my entire adult life. Oh, I'm sorry. Do we embarrass you? It's already better than I dared to dream. They're extra. Let the wild rumpus start! And they're embarrassing. We know how hard it is to move on from the first girl that you ever slept with. Not the first girl who I ever slept with. Yeah, 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 right. You're a regular lady killer. I thought you said it was going to be boring here tonight. No! I really hoped it would be. But they couldn't love each other more. To mom and dad being totally normal. Wow. So, dinner next Friday, everyone? Wouldn't miss for the world. Dinner with the Parents, Season 1. Stream free, only on Freebie.